When I think about First Church, I think about a people who love Jesus and love like Jesus. Sometimes people wonder why we do what we do, why we give so generously, why we love those everyone else avoids, why we seek those everyone else ignores, why we dance when no one else hears the music, why we stick together when everyone else is so divided, why we show compassion in a world full of injustice. The answer is simple. It's because of Jesus. He's changed the way we see everything. He's the reason why we live. The answer is simple. Jesus is why. First Church, so glad you guys are here. If you're new, my name's Chad, and we just want to welcome you. Our mission is to love Jesus and love light Jesus. And we have family this morning meeting out at Stone Canyon, as well as others who will join us later online. So if you would, let's take a moment, let's welcome them into our time of study. Well, Easter is only a few weeks away, and so before I get into our Easter series, which we're starting today, a series called Jesus is Why, uh, there's some housekeeping stuff I need to do. I talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to cover it again today. Uh, we're going to be adding an 8 a.m. service here at North Garnett on Easter Sunday, and so we want to challenge 400 of our normal attenders here at North Garnett to come to our 8 a.m. service. That is to make room at our uh, 9, uh, 9.30 and 10 o'clock, sorry, what, what's when do we meet? I'm not even sure. Okay, uh, 9.30 and 11 o'clock services. There we go. Um, and so we want to make room for all the visitors and people that are going to be coming. We are anticipating one of our largest uh, Easter crowds yet. And so hopefully if uh, we will have a lot of people that can commit to come to that 8 a.m. service. And so if you can, go online, go to our church app. You can sign up, you can register to attend that service so we will know about child care and children's programming and all that good stuff. Uh, but be inviting people to come to Easter, whether you're at Stone Canyon or whether you're here in North Garnett, be inviting people to come to Easter because it's going to be a powerful service and we know that people will be introduced to Jesus in a meaningful way. So keep that on your radar as Easter approaches. Well, we'll go ahead and transition now and get started in the message today. And I want to start by basically letting you know about a question that I've been asked a lot since I've moved here to Oklahoma. In fact, I've probably been asked this question more than any other question, and it's this. How are you and your family adjusting to life in Oklahoma? I mean, I'm asked that over and over and over again. I was asked that a couple of times this week even, and this, I give the same answer every single time. We're adjusting really well. We love Oklahoma. We really like it here a lot, and Oklahoma is feeling more and more like home. Now, in some sense, Kentucky will always be home. I mean, it will be. That's where our family uh, lives, and I will always be a Kentucky Wildcat fan no matter what. I've got my UK shirt on today. By the way, we won twice this past weekend, so we're going on to the Sweet 16. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Go Cats. Had to throw that in there, but I will always be a Kentucky fan, and in some ways, Kentucky will always be home. But honestly, Oklahoma is feeling more and more like home all the time, and we do love it here. And we've kind of noticed that Oklahoma is feeling more and more like home. Um, we have different moments where we've noticed that over the past few months. And one of those moments happened when Alice and I were talking about our kitchen. And she said, you know, we've got a blank wall over there that needs something on it. A picture, a clock, something decorative. We need something on it. I hadn't even noticed the wall was blank. But she said, we need something on that wall. And I said, well, get whatever you want to. I don't care. And so she came back after shopping with this. 
and she put it up in our kitchen. It's a wood sign, has the state of Oklahoma on it, and this was the first thing that we put up in our house that said Oklahoma. We have a ton of Kentucky stuff, but this was the first thing that said Oklahoma, and I remember when she put it up in our kitchen, it just felt right, because Oklahoma is feeling more and more like home. The other day, Allison came out of our bedroom after she got dressed, and she was wearing this shirt. It says home on it. It has the state of Oklahoma in the O. And when I saw her wear that, I thought, you know, it is. It's, it's our home. And it just hit me like that. The last time we were in Kentucky, I was talking to somebody. I said, well, when we get back home, and it was the first time that I consciously remember referring to Oklahoma as home and not Kentucky as going back home. And so that was kind of cool as well. But it really hit me the other day that we are adjusting well to life in Oklahoma when I opened up my kitchen cabinet and I saw this. I knew then... I knew then that we were adjusting well to life in Oklahoma. Uh, you guys who are from here, you know what I'm talking about. You get these stadium cups. You can get them at Hideaway Pizza or Eskimo Joe's or other places as well. It seems like everybody in Oklahoma has them. We love to drink out of them. And these cups are perfect, you know. We just like them a lot, and we have a cabinet full of them already, though we haven't lived here that long. And I saw a social media post the other day that said this. If you want to look at it on the screen, it says, what it's like living in Oklahoma, question mark. And so then they have their dishwasher full of these stadium cups and I get that I understand that if you're from Oklahoma you know exactly what we're talking about but we do we love it here and we know this is where God wants us to be but one thing that my kids love about this area probably more than anything else is the gathering place in Tulsa any of you guys been to the gathering place let me see a show of hands all of our campuses yeah a bunch of you my kids love the gathering place I haven't been there yet actually Allison has taken them with some friends a few times but I've never been and every time that they get back they want to tell me about it because they just have so much fun they've got all these great stories to share and they went this past week and when they got back Alex wanted me to know that he slid down the big slide that they had now, I don't know what this slide is exactly. Like I said, I haven't been there. But he slid down this slide, and he loved it. It was a lot of fun, and he wanted to tell me all about it. But he didn't just want to tell me about it. After he went down at one time, he went down a second time, and he asked Allison if he could borrow her phone to film himself going down the slide. And I'm surprised she let him do it, but she did. And here's the video he shared with me. Take a look. Here we go. I mean, isn't that great? It looks like a lot of fun, doesn't it? I took a still shot of that video. Here's his face as he's going down the slide. I mean, isn't that great? And he wanted me to watch that video over and over and over again. And he just couldn't stop talking about that slide, how much fun it was. And as I was having that conversation with Alex and watching that video, I was reminded of a truth. And the truth is this. We love to talk about the things we love. I mean, isn't that true? We love to talk about the things we love, whether it's an exciting experience, whether it's something fun we did, whether it's something we're passionate about, it doesn't matter. We love to talk about the things we love. And if you were to ask me to talk about my family, I wouldn't have to search for the words. You know, I love to talk about my family. And so I could talk for hours about Allison and Alex and Addie. I love my family. I love to talk about them. Why do you think I mention them so much in sermons? Because I love to talk about them. If you were to ask me about Kentucky basketball. I could talk for hours about Kentucky basketball. We love to talk about the things we love. I also talk a lot about Kentucky basketball in my sermons too. There's a pattern here, isn't there? But we love to talk about the things we love. And it's interesting to me that when you look in at the earliest days of the church in the book of Acts, you see that the early Christians got into some trouble for talking about not just what they love, but who they love. 
who they loved. The early Christians got in trouble for talking about Jesus. To be specific, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they get in trouble for talking about Jesus. They're in the temple courts and they're telling people about him and they get arrested. And they're arrested and taken into custody and they stand before the Jewish leadership, the Jewish authorities. And these Jewish leaders look at Peter and John and they say, we want you to stop talking about Jesus or else. And this was a serious threat. Remember, this is the same Jewish governing body that just a few months ago had Jesus arrested and eventually crucified. And these same powerful men are looking at Peter and John and they're saying, we want you to stop talking about Jesus or else. There's a serious threat. And do you remember how Peter and John responded? Well, Acts chapter 4 tells us. Acts 4 verse 20 says that they said... As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, why did they respond like that? Why did they say that? Well, you might say, well, we love to talk about what we love, and that's true. But you know, if somebody came to me and they were threatening my life and they said, you either stop talking about Kentucky basketball or else, and they had the power to do or else... Let me tell you something. I could stop talking about Kentucky basketball. I really could. I could be quiet for a little while about Kentucky basketball if my life was on the line. These men seem to want to talk about Jesus for a different reason than the typical love that we have for some things. There's something more here, something deeper here. And they respond to this threat with such boldness. Now, they always hadn't been this bold I mean, just a few months prior when Jesus was arrested, you remember what the disciples did? Remember what their response was then? Matthew 26, verse 56 says, at that point, all the disciples deserted him, deserted Jesus, and fled. And this includes Peter and John. And even after they had received news, after the disciples had received news that Jesus was alive, that he had rose from the dead... I mean, some of the women had witnessed Jesus alive after he was crucified. Some of the disciples had even personally witnessed him being alive on the night of the resurrection. Do you remember what they were doing? John 20, verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. But now in Acts chapter 4, a few months later, they're standing before those same Jewish leaders that they were once afraid of. Those same Jewish leaders that they were once hiding from in a locked room, they're standing before those same powerful men and they're looking at them and saying, we can't help but talk about Jesus. And we're not going to stop. Now, they have this boldness. They make this statement after spending a night in prison. I mean, you would think... A night in shackles on a cold prison floor would give them plenty of time to think about what was going on and the situation that they were in. And most of us would have understood if Peter and John said, you know, we'll just lay low for a little while and then we'll come back and talk about Jesus. We'll let things die down a little bit and then we'll come back and talk about Jesus. But they didn't. After spending a night in prison and shackles, they stand before these Jewish leaders and they say, we can't stop talking about him. And they don't just say they can't stop. They then respond to these leaders by telling them personally about Jesus. So get this. These leaders, these Jewish leaders are threatening Peter and John. And they say, stop talking about Jesus. They say, we can't do it. And by the way, we're going to tell you about Jesus. 
Is that crazy? To a lot of people, it sounds that way. But Peter and John did it for a reason. It was as if retreat wasn't an option. It was as if there was no persuading Peter and John. They were determined. They were resolute. There was no closing the door. What had happened? What had changed? Why did they respond like this? Why didn't they back down? Why could they not stop talking about what they had seen and heard? The answer It's one word, one name. The answer is Jesus. Now, I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, like a churchy answer. I mean, when I was growing up in Sunday school, if the teacher asked me a question and I didn't know the answer, I just responded Jesus because Jesus is like the answer to everything. You know, I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer to say Jesus, but it's true. It was because of him. See, these men, they had seen Jesus heal people. They had witnessed him do miraculous works. They had listened to him teach. But most recently, they had witnessed him die, be crucified, and come back to life again. And after seeing him alive after being dead, everything started to click. They started to realize who Jesus really was. See, I think for a while they thought that he was just a prophet, or at least they treated him that way. Or maybe he was somebody sent from God, but he was sent from God to be an earthly king that was going to take over the Roman Empire. Maybe they just saw him as a miracle worker, or maybe they just saw him as a good moral teacher. But finally, after the resurrection, they realized Jesus was so much more. He was more than what they once thought he was. He was God in flesh. He was the Son of God. And they realized what he had come to do. And for them, nothing was worth more to them than having a relationship with him. They loved this man. And they were experiencing love from him that they had never experienced before. And therefore, they couldn't stop talking about him. So much so that when these Jewish leaders say, stop talking about Jesus, and they say, we can't do it, the Jewish leaders don't know what to do with Peter and John, so they just threaten them some more, and they let them go. And after they let Peter and, jo- uh, Peter and John go, after they get off, you know what Peter and John do? They don't run. They don't hide. They go back to the church, and together with the church, they pray, and listen to what they prayed, Acts 4, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats, the threats that are coming from these Jewish leaders, and enable your servants, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Notice something. They didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't pray to be rescued. They didn't pray for their persecution to end. They didn't pray for their enemies to be eliminated. No, they prayed For God to give them boldness to keep telling people about Jesus. And that's what they did. And as you read on through the book of Acts, what you find is Jesus' revolutionary movement within just a few decades spreads all over the world. And this happened in spite of persecution, in spite of pressure, in spite of opposition. 
I mean, the world continued to persecute the church, and persecution increased over time. The arrest of Peter and John, that's the first recorded incident we have of Christian persecution, but it didn't stop there. That was just the tip of the iceberg. That was just the beginning. Persecution grew and grew and became more and more severe over time, and yet, even with more and more persecution against the church, the name of Jesus continued to spread all over the world. We have records, historical records of Christian families being arrested and thrown to the lions as their punishment simply because of their faith in Jesus. And you would think that if the church experienced persecution like that, if these Christian families knew that if they continued to tell people about Jesus, that the authorities could come in and yank them from their homes and throw them to lions, you would think that the growth of the church would slow down, but it didn't. It just increased all the more. And those same historical documents that tell us about Christians being thrown to the lions also tell us that those Christian families, dads, moms, children, as the lions were encircling them, getting ready to devour them, you know what they were doing? They were singing songs of praise and worship to God. Why? To the world, that doesn't make any sense. But they knew why. See, sometimes I will hear people say things like this, maybe not these exact words, but I will hear people say, you know, even if Christianity isn't true, even if we get to the end of our lives and we find out it's not true, being a Christian is still a nice way to live, isn't it? I've heard people say that a lot or something to that degree, something like that. Even if we get to the end of our lives and we find out all this was just a farce, all this wasn't true, Christianity is still a nice way to live. You think Peter and John believe that? Do you think those Christian families, as they were being surrounded by lions, believe that? Right now, today, we have missionaries in foreign countries that are standing up to tell people about Jesus, knowing that if the government finds out about them, they could be arrested, even killed for doing so. Do you think those missionaries would say, even if we get to the end of our lives and this has all been a farce, it's still been a nice way to live? I don't think so, because I think all those individuals I just mentioned would have said, if this thing isn't for real, I don't want any part of it. They knew Jesus was real, and that's why they were able to keep going even though they were facing persecution. And those driving this persecution, they didn't understand why Christians wouldn't give up. They didn't understand why Christian families sang as lions surrounded them. They didn't understand why no matter what they threw at the church, the church continued to grow. It just didn't make sense to them. But these early Christians knew why. And if you were to ask them, they would have said, Jesus is why. He's alive. He's real. He has changed us. He has the power to change this world. And nothing in this world is worth losing him. Jesus is why. And those who met these early Christians, they knew there was something different. 
And they started to figure out pretty quickly that what set these people apart was their relationship with this guy named Jesus. Jumping back into Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are standing before the Jewish leadership, look at how Peter and John are described. Look at how the Jewish leaders see them. Acts 4 verse 13 when they, speaking of the Jewish leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want you to notice how these leaders describe Peter and John. They call them unschooled, ordinary men. That's normally not what we think of when we think of Peter and John because we have this romanticized uh, picture of Peter and John. They're kind of the heroes, some of the heroes of our faith. They're called unschooled ordinary men, and the Greek terminology here is agramatos idiotes, literally grammarless idiots. That's how these Jewish leaders see Peter and John, grammarless idiots. Now, if we were starting a church or starting a revolutionary movement to change the world, we would probably want to pick leaders for that movement that were polished and well-rounded and well-educated. But Jesus, you know who he picks? Larry and Bubba. Now, no offense to anybody in our church named Larry and Bubba, but he picks just some ordinary guys. And what I love about that description is this. It reminds me that if God can use men like that in such powerful ways, he can use somebody like me. Because if there's a word to describe me, it's ordinary. Guys, I'm not exceptionally gifted or exceptionally talented. Maybe you are. I mean, maybe you are exceptionally gifted and talented. Maybe you're exceptionally good looking. I am not. I'm, not, I'm none of those things. And I know that. The only reason why I'm able to do any bit of ministry it's because I serve an extraordinary God who uses the ordinary. See, that's the thing about our God. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I'm not just ordinary. I'm unworthy. But that's who God uses. See, I'm convinced that God wants to use our church, which in case you haven't realized this, is made up of a lot of ordinary people. I think he wants to use our church, which consists of a lot of ordinary people, to unleash a wave of his love in extraordinary ways on northeast Oklahoma and beyond. That's what he did with the early church. And that's what he did with Peter and John. See, within a few decades, the church grew from 12 individuals meeting in Jerusalem to 120 meeting in the upper room to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to 5,000 a little bit later to then tens of thousands meeting throughout Jerusalem and Judea. And eventually when we get to the book of Acts, Jesus is known all over the world. And there's a reason why God was able to use men like Peter and John as well as others to change the course of human history. It's because those people... We're all in. Their lives were all about Jesus and nothing was more important to them than their relationship with him. God didn't use Peter and John as well as others because they had the most biblical knowledge or because they had more resources than anybody else or because they were extremely gifted or talented. No, God used them 
because they were all about Jesus. They loved him more than anything else. Jesus had forever changed them and their lives would never be the same because of him. And I think the Jewish leaders, they recognize this. They saw this. And that's why I love what they say about Peter and John at the end of verse 13, which we just read. It says, and they took note, the Jewish leadership took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, for Peter and John, following Jesus wasn't a part-time gig. It wasn't a pastime. It wasn't a hobby. It wasn't a mere social outlet. Jesus was life-changing. And everyone who encountered them, everyone who met them, knew it. It's no secret around our office here at First Church that I'm a coffee drinker. I love coffee. I drink it all day long, literally. I love coffee. And so over the years, people have given me coffee mugs as a gift. And I've gotten several different coffee mugs, and a lot of them have scripture verses on them. It's a good gift to give a preacher, I guess. But like this one here, it says, sing a new song to the Lord, Psalm 98, verse 1. And typically when I get a coffee mug that has a scripture verse on it, you know, it's got an uplifting, encouraging verse like this one on it. Something from the Psalms, maybe a verse from the New Testament, like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, normally an uplifting, encouraging verse. But it hit me the other day that there are a lot of verses in the Bible that never make it on a coffee mug. And I kind of felt sorry for those verses because they're still God's truth, and yet they never make it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. And so I decided that it would be good if somebody came out with a line of coffee mugs that had scripture verse on them that no one else puts on merchandise. And so I came up with some prototypes. I actually came up with these myself, and I want to share them with you because I think there's a market for these things and here's my first prototype if you want to take a look on the screen this one says my breath is offensive to my wife Job 19:17. don't you think that's perfect for a coffee mug I mean that'd be great uh, I think people would buy that that's funny and it's also true so yeah that's uh, that'd be great uh, I came up with another one and this next one actually it's good for, it would be good for people who aren't morning people. And it says this, a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. Proverbs 27, 14. You know, I've discovered during my short time in ministry that there are two types of people. There are those who love mornings and there are those who hate those who love mornings. And I'm not sure which, which uh, category you fall into, but if you hate the mornings, that is a perfect mug for you. But I've got one more I want to share with you. And this last one says... Put up on the screen, a nagging wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof. Proverbs 27, 15. Husbands, buy that for your wife for an anniversary gift. Yeah, I'm kidding. You're not going to get any brownie points for that whatsoever. Bring your coffee in bed in that mug. You know, that'll be great. I'm sure it'll be a wonderful outcome. But, you know, those are all funny passages that, you know, might work on a coffee mug. Somebody might buy it. But there's another verse that I've never seen on a coffee mug, I've never seen on a bumper sticker, never seen on a t-shirt, and I wish somebody would put it on one of those things, because I would buy merchandise that had this verse on it, and it's the verse that I just looked at, a single Acts 4, verse 13, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus, because honestly, I hope that that's what I'm always known for. I hope that when I get to the end of my life, they're having my funeral, and people are standing around talking about me. I hope people say about me, you know, Chad, he was just an ordinary guy. But you could always tell he spent time with Jesus. I don't think anything better could be said of me. I hope people say 
Chad was really nothing special. But Jesus had changed him. And Jesus used him. And you could tell that nothing was more important to him than his relationship with Jesus. And honestly, I hope that that's what our church is known for. I hope that when people look at our church, they say, they're just a bunch of ordinary people. But you can tell they spend time with Jesus. See, that's how Peter and John were described. Their lives were oriented around him. But here's the thing, that wasn't always the case. It's not that they, there's ever a point in their lives where they didn't love Jesus or that they didn't respect him or anything like that. But their lives weren't always oriented around him. But all that changed after the resurrection when they realized who he really was. This man that they had been following for more than three years, he was more than just a good moral teacher. He was more than just a philosopher. He was more than just a religious expert. He was more than a miracle worker. He was more than a prophet. This man who they've been following, he hadn't come to set up an earthly kingdom like they once thought. He had come to set up a kingdom that was outside of this world. Jesus wasn't who they once thought he was. He was so much more. And if he really was who he claimed to be, if he wasn't a phony, if he wasn't a fake, but he really was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, God in flesh, who came to sacrifice himself for the sins of the entire world so that he could restore all people to God and rewrite the story of the human race. If it was true that heaven and earth would pass away, but the words of this man, the words of Jesus would never pass away, how in the world could they not make their lives all about him because if he is who he claims to be it's a game changer he's not a hobby he's not a pastime he's not a social outlet following him is not joining a club he changes everything Jesus was their everything. I once heard someone say, our love for Jesus either changes everything or nothing. It can't just change a few things. And I like that. Our love for Jesus either changes everything or nothing. It can't just change a few things. In other words, following Jesus, it's an all or nothing deal. How you see Jesus determines how you see life. And sometimes people ask me, why is that first church does what it does? Why is that we serve? Why is it we give? Why is it we make sacrifice? Why is it we worship? Why do we hold so firmly to our convictions? Why do we have such joy? And the answer is always the same. Jesus is why. He changes everything. He changes, first of all, how we see ourselves. And Peter and John acknowledge this in Acts 4, verse 12, as they're standing before these Jewish leaders. They say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. See, what Peter and John here are acknowledging is they've been given a new identity because of Jesus. This new identity is not something that they could earn, not something that they deserve, but they were given this new identity from Jesus. It was a gift from him. This, identity, this new identity was based on God's love for them. You see, when you start to understand who God is, then you, can then you can discover who you are. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we discover that God isn't against us, but he's for us. I'm not sure 
what mental picture of God you have right now. Because in some churches, they portray God as this divine being who's just out to get us and always wants to punish us and wants to try to catch us in our sin. And the more time you spend with Jesus, you discover that's not what God is like. But God loves us. He wants what's best for us. And the reason why Jesus came was that he could give us what we didn't deserve, give us an identity that we didn't deserve. And that identity is being a child of his. See, Jesus gave his life so that we could get life, get his life. And that's called grace. And most of what people live for today in our culture, it's meaningless. Most of what people live for in all reality, it's a childish charade in the mind of God. It's a mirage that will never satisfy. It's a house of cards that sooner rather than later will come crashing down. See, I'm convinced there's a voice crying out deep within each of us that says there has to be more to life than just what we see around us. And the truth is, there is, it's Jesus. Jesus is the source, the meaning, and the purpose of life. And until you live in relationship with him, you can exist in this world, but you will never really live. He's what life is all about. And when you live in relationship with him, he gives you meaning and purpose for life. And you get to have a new identity. You get to be called a child of God, which is what you were created to be. But Jesus also changes how we see others. See, the reason why Peter and John got in trouble in the first place is because they showed kindness to a crippled man. There was a man who couldn't walk outside of the temple gates in Jerusalem. And they walked up to this man. This man is begging for money. Because that's what you had to do when you had a physical disability in this day and age. You had to beg in order to survive. And this man had his head down begging because he was ashamed that he was a beggar. He was considered less than human. Now that's not right. We know that's not, the, that that's not right. But that's how people saw those with disabilities in the first century world. And this man is ashamed. He's embarrassed. He's got his head down. And Peter and John walk up and acknowledge this man. And they heal him through the power of God. And what's interesting is that gives them an opportunity then to tell the crowd about who Jesus is. Everybody wants to know by what power they did this. And the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to know as well. And so in Acts 4 verse 9, Peter and John say to these men, Do you want to know why we were kind to a man who couldn't walk? And then they go on to explain why. They said it's because that's what Jesus would have done. That's what Jesus taught us to do. We are modeling him. You see, we get life to give it away. Jesus gave his life away so that we could live his life. And once we have that life, we give it away. And that's why I love what Peter and John say to this man who couldn't walk in Acts chapter 3. When they first see him, Acts 3 verse 4 says that they said to him, look at us. Why? Because that man had his head down. As people would pass by, he would beg for money. And he wouldn't even look at him because he was so embarrassed and so ashamed he felt less than human. And when Peter and John walk up to him, they say, look at us. Look at us in the eye. Raise your head. They were adding dignity and value to this man's life. And that's why we're here. Because we live in a world where people have been wounded by sin and wounded by others. They've been wounded by the curse that this world is under. And we are here to restore dignity and value to their lives by introducing them to Jesus. We're here to give his life away 
And this man who was begging, he wasn't allowed to go on in to the temple and worship with the rest of God's people because, again, he was considered an incomplete human being by their standards. And what Peter and John do is they welcome in one who is outside of God's family into God's family. And I think we're called to do whatever it takes to get those who are outside of God's family inside. Because we are to have the same heartbeat as Jesus. We share his heartbeat. And every time I think about sharing Jesus' heartbeat, there's a guy that comes to mind for me. I'm going to call him Jim. That's not his real name. You don't need to know his real name. God knows who he is. But I'm going to call him Jim for the sake of telling the story, his story. And Jim is a good friend of mine. He's been in ministry for 25 some odd years. But when he first started in ministry, he went through a rough patch. He discovered that his wife was cheating on him, having an affair. Not only that, the guy that she was having an affair with, he went around town as a small town bragging that he had got the preacher's wife to cheat on him, the type of guy he was. Jim, he tried to reconcile with his wife. He wanted to seek counseling, all that stuff. She wanted nothing to do with him. They had three kids. She gave full custody to Jim. She didn't want the kids at that time, at least. She went off to live with her new man. They had a kid together. And to make matters worse, the leadership of Jim's church that he was serving at the time, he was their preaching minister, they came to Jim and they said, you know, there's a lot of bad publicity right now because for us because of this divorce that you're going through. We think it would be best if you stepped down as our minister. And so he did, not wanting to hurt the church. Now Jim had three kids to provide for, so he did whatever he could to make ends meet. He worked part-time at a factory for a while. He uh, sold insurance. He sold used cars. He did whatever he could to try to provide for his three kids. And then after a while, after things became a little bit more stable financially. There was a church in town, a small church, who came to Jim and said, you know, Jim, we would love to have you as our preacher if you would come and accept that position. And he did because he knew that God wanted him to be in full-time ministry. So he went and he accepted that position. He preached at this small church and the church started to grow. Things were going well. And then one Sunday morning, guess who walked into that church building? Jim's ex-wife and her new husband. They came and sat down in a pew. And immediately, one of the elders of the church walked up to Jim and said, we got to take care of, we know what they've done to you, everybody in this small town knows your story, we're going to walk up to them as the eldership and ask them to leave. And Jim looked at that elder, and he said, that's not necessary, don't do it. So what do you mean? No, they, they need to get out of here, they're just going to disrupt things, they need to leave, they know what they're doing. And Jim said, if they leave, they may never hear about Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. Let them stay. One of Jim's sons came up to him. He said, Dad, Mom doesn't need to be here. I'll go tell her to leave. And Jim told his son, let him stay. They need to hear about Jesus. And Jim got up and preached with those, those two people staring at him the entire time. They came back the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And Jim thought, maybe they're not here to cause trouble. Maybe they're searching for something more. Eventually, Jim invited the husband of his ex-wife to go and have breakfast with him. He ended up discipling 
his ex-wife's new husband. Not only that, a couple years later, he had the chance to baptize the daughter that they had had together. And people who have heard that story will go to Jim even today and say, why'd you do that? And Jim will tell you the same answer over and over again. It's because of Jesus. I know what Jesus has done for me. And I know that he is what they needed. And that leads me to the last thing that I want to bring up today. And it's this, Jesus changes how we see life. See, even though the Jewish authorities continued to persecute the church, the church continued to tell people about Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, after the church had experienced severe persecution by this point, Acts 6 verse 7 says, So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests, get this, Jewish leaders, priests, became obedient to the faith. You see, these early Christians knew that they were living for something bigger than themselves, something bigger than their own personal comfort, something bigger than their own personal preferences, something bigger than their own religious traditions and rituals, something bigger than a social club or another humanitarian project. They were part of Jesus' revolutionary movement to change the world. And they had a message of hope, restoration, and transformation that the world needed to hear For them, Jesus was not a pastime. Jesus was not a hobby. Jesus was not a social outlet. Jesus wasn't just a nice way to live. Jesus was real. His mission was real. And his hope was real. And the reason why they lived, the reason why they risked their lives, the reason why they were able to change the world was because of him. Jesus was why. And I just want to ask you today, Is Jesus your why? Because remember, he changes everything or nothing. He won't settle for just changing some things. If you want to know why certain people here at First Church sacrifice their time, energy, and resources in order to invest in the lives of others, I've got the answer for you. If you want to know why, we have students every single year from our student ministry who decide to go into full-time ministry, and they can make a lot more money doing something else, but they decide to go into full-time ministry, and even some of them decide to go into foreign missions and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. If you want to know why, I know why. You want to know why last Christmas, just a few months ago, we decided to call off our traditional Christmas Eve services, which we had done for years and decided to go out and serve people in our community rather than just meet together for another service. I mean, I had people from other churches saying, that's a foolish decision. You're going to regret that. People are going to get mad. You know why we did it? I know why. You want to know why we're a church that gives up our preferences so that others can connect to Jesus? I talked to a man just the other day that said that he comes to church with his grandson and the music that he listens to in church, it's not his cup of tea. It's not his preference. He doesn't really like it, but he stands there and worships beside his grandson because his grandson has his hands in the air praising uh, Jesus with all of his heart. And he said, my grandson needs to know Jesus. And if that music connects him to Jesus, then I'm willing to stand there and worship with him. You want to know why? My friend Jim welcomed his ex-wife and her new husband and even discipled their family. It's because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And Jesus is why my family is here in Oklahoma. 
Guys, I didn't move my family cross country for a job. I moved my family across the country because I believe Jesus wants to do a great work through this church and throughout Northeast Oklahoma and beyond. I am here today not for a job. I am here today because of Jesus. And I hope you're here today because of him as well. Jesus is why. We love to talk about the things we love. And if you can't tell, I love to talk about Jesus. And I could keep going. I'd go for another hour or two if you want me to. But I won't. But if you're new here today, and you're wondering why I'm so passionate about Jesus or why our church is so passionate about him, come talk to us. Because we would love to tell you about the one who we love with all of our hearts, the one who died for us, the one who changes everything. We would love to tell you about the one who's worth more to us than anything else in this world. We would love to tell you about Jesus. He's why we live. He's why we serve. He's why we breathe. Jesus is why. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time we've had to open up your word and be challenged by it. And we just pray that we will be a people who don't treat following your son like it's a hobby or a pastime or just being part of a club or whatever else, but that we will realize he, was, he is the source, the meaning, and the purpose for life. May he drive us. May he lead us. May we always remember that he's our why. It's in his name, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen.